Good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome along. Please do grab a seat if you haven't yet found one. And there should be a few seats downstairs and upstairs as well. Uh, great to be able to join together to, to worship the Lord together. It's great if you're following along online. Um, I know many people are ill at the moment, so uh, blessings to you from, from here. And we'll be praying for many uh, later in the service. This morning we are continuing on in our series in the, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we'll be looking at uh, Mark chapter 7, where Jesus heals. Uh, throughout the Bible, as you read through the Bible, there's lots of incidences of, uh, of healing. Uh, but we see that that is really connected to a, a greater spiritual reality. That God heals us from our sins. As it says in Isaiah, in the Old Testament, in chapter 42, verse 7, that the Lord would come to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. As wonderfully, that's what the Lord Jesus comes to do. He comes to open our eyes to see him and to be set free from our sins that we can come and praise him. That's what we're going to do just in a moment as we, as we sing to him. But before we do that, let us just gently uh, quiet our hearts and pray. Let's come together and pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to come before you and to praise you. We pray, Father, for the things that are in our minds and in our hearts which are spinning around Lord, that we would lay them down before you. That we would come before you and worship you with all of our hearts. That our hearts would be filled with wonder, awe, and praise as we come to you this morning. As we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Father God, we thank you that even as you know we are sinful people... You invite us to bring our prayers before you. We confess our sins to you, those sins we've committed and those sins of omission. We thank you for your forgiveness and we thank you that we are forgiven through the blood of Jesus. We pray that we would not take our forgiveness lightly, that we would recognise what it cost. And we pray that with your help, we would live rightly day by day. We thank you for our time together as a church family to worship you today. We thank you again for the time that we had away together at High Lee. And we thank you too for those who've come into church membership recently. And we pray for those who would still be considering committing to church membership and those who are considering witnessing to their faith in baptism. We thank you for all that you are doing to build your church in this place and we pray that you'll continue to build us up together, not just numerically but spiritually as we are taught by our pastors from the scriptures. We pray that whilst they're away on holiday, Neil and Liz would be refreshed as they need at that time. And we thank you that we are blessed to be able to send people out from this church to minister elsewhere. We pray for John as he preaches at 
Hyde Heath Baptist Church this morning. We pray for those of the church family having hospital treatment or otherwise struggling with health issues at this time. We think particularly of Alan and Jacqueline, of my neighbours Lou and John, and Tom and Jacqueline. And there may be others I'm not aware of and haven't mentioned, so in a moment of quiet, name them in your hearts before God now. We pray for the world in which we live, and particularly for where there is conflict. We remember Israel and Gaza, Russia and Ukraine particularly. We ask for protection and comfort for all those who have been affected, for wisdom for those looking to bring peace, and for an end to the killing bloodshed and violence. We pray too for areas of the world in which there are natural disasters. In particular, we remember Turkey and Syria and Morocco. We thank you for the news from Tim in Morocco and we pray for him as he looks to take much needed aid into the more mountainous areas. We remember the work of Samaritan's Purse and we pray for the shoeboxes that are being filled and prepared for distribution to countries where they're needed. We pray that the families who receive them would be encouraged to know that they're not alone, they're not forgotten, but they're remembered, not least by you, God, their Heavenly Father. And we pray for our missionary partners around the world. And this week we particularly pray for Julian and Lydia in Romania. We pray for Julian as he teaches from the Gospels to help the church to engage with events in Israel and Gaza. And as he teaches children and young people how to engage well with their world. We pray for Lydia's health to be restored so that she can return to work in the kindergarten. And we pray for their children, Julia and Catalin. We ask that they would come to their own saving faith in Jesus. And we pray for those who will be visiting them in the next couple of weeks. That's myself and Phil and Chris from America. We pray that our time there would be a blessing to the family, the church, and to them in their outreach into the community of Kalarash. We pray too for the many ministries that take place here each week. We particularly pray for Spectrum and we thank you for the way in which art can be used to reach out into the community. We praise you that the annual day-long special that took place on Wednesday was such a happy and inspiring day. We pray for all those who come into contact with the church week by week, 
especially for those who don't yet know you as Saviour. We pray for Nathan as he takes the assembly at Long Crendon School tomorrow morning. And we pray for the men's breakfast on Saturday and for John and Martin as they share their experiences of living out their Christian faith in their workplaces. We pray that what they share would resonate with those they speak to, whether it's the children or the teachers at the school or the men at the breakfast. We thank you that you not only invite us to bring our prayers before you, but that you hear them and you answer them, not necessarily as we think they should be answered, but in the best way as you know they should be answered. And confident in that, we commit our prayers to you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our reading this morning comes from Mark, chapter 7, verses 24 to the end of the chapter. Um, In the small church Bibles, it's page 110, and in the large print Bibles, 1,535. Jesus honours a Syrophoenician's woman's faith. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon had gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, Then he spat and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosed and he began to speak plainly. 
Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Jill, thank you so much uh, for reading for us. Now, before we start, let's, uh, let's take a moment to pray. Uh, Father, uh, please, would you uh, uh, help us this morning? Uh, we need your help. Uh, would you please uh, unstop our ears? Would you quicken our hearts? Uh, would you ready them? Uh, please, would you be at work helping us to listen well to you speak to us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, please do keep your Bibles open. Uh, it would be a great help to me if you're able to follow along uh, as we go through the passage. Uh, we're continuing to work our way through Mark's gospel. Uh, and the gospel starts, with, doesn't it, with that uh, incredible declaration where Jesus says that the kingdom of God is near. And I guess the question is, the kingdom of God is near, but are we? Are we near the kingdom of God? And what we saw last week were those that uh, thought they were close, those who were obeying. Actually, uh, they weren't. That they had hearts that were far from God. And the question I want us to think about this morning is, is simply this. What does having a heart for the Lord look like? What does having a heart for the Lord look like? And last week we saw that the religious elite thought that the way to be made right with God, the way to enter the kingdom of God, was to follow man-made rules. And Jesus utterly smashed that notion. So if the kingdom of God or entry into the kingdom of God isn't by our own efforts, how do we become members of that kingdom? So this morning, many of you are pleased. We have a one-point sermon, uh, the right heart attitude, the right heart attitude, a life-giving faith. So that's uh, where we're going today. Uh, last week, uh, we're in the first part of Mark 7, and we saw that the religious leaders, they had a bust-up with Jesus. Uh, the religious leaders had created rules. Uh, they thought that if they obeyed the rules that they created, that they would indeed be honoring God. And the rules uh, were really designed to give people themselves uh, a sense of confidence that they could enter into the kingdom of God uh, by dint of their own merit, by doing the things that they thought that they should be doing. Uh, But Jesus said that those man-made rules, those rules that we concoct, actually don't bring us nearer to God. They actually push us further and further away from God. They do the very opposite. They end up pulling us away from the kingdom of God. And in the first 23 verses that we looked at last week, uh, showed us that the religious leaders of Israel had completely missed how one comes into the kingdom of God. Uh, Remember uh, that the people of Israel, the people of Israel at that time, uh, were the people whom God had set his love upon. He'd rescued them uh, out of Egypt and he'd given them the law telling them what it looks like to be in a living relationship uh, with God. Yet these people completely missed what it means to be 
in a relationship with God. And as we come to these verses this morning, Jesus shows us uh, that something that the readers would have considered to have been at the time would have been completely outrageous, an extraordinary thing that Jesus says. He says that the kingdom of God is not just for the people of Israel. It's not just for the people of Israel. It was true that God had chosen for himself the people of Israel, uh, but right from the start, Right from the start, God had promised that he was going to bless all nations, all nations through his people. That on the final day when Jesus returns and God uh, wraps up time, that people, his people, will be found coming from all nations. Not just Israel, all nations, and they'd be welcomed onto God's holy hill. That picture of that final day of God bringing all people to himself. And here in chapter 7 and 8, Uh, We see that the kingdom of God is a kingdom that invites people of every nation, every color, every class, every gender, every creed. The kingdom of God is not the exclusive country club of Israel. It's way bigger than that. It's a kingdom that stands above all kingdoms, all distinctions of people. And Jesus shows us that the entry into the kingdom of God is through having the right attitude of heart. Jesus does that in the most uh, remarkable and amazing way, and Mark records that for us uh, today. And Mark tells us about an encounter that Jesus had with somebody that everybody at the time would have thought was an outsider. And he reveals that in that person that everyone thought was an outsider, actually the right heart is found. So let's take a look Uh, at the setting that Mark records for us in verse uh, 24 and in verse uh, 26. We read this. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. And then we go on to 25. Uh, In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Let's just slow down a wee bit uh, and take a look at what Mark is actually telling us. Uh, In verse 25, uh, Mark tells us that Jesus leaves Israel and he goes to the region of Tyre. And that's situated on the Mediterranean coast. Okay, so it's some way from Jerusalem. It's a predominantly non-Jewish area. Jesus is a long way from Jerusalem and the religious and ceremonial heart of Israel. He's in Gentile territory. And in that place, Jesus is approached uninvited by a Greek, a Gentile, someone who would not have been raised believing in the one true God. This person is a cultural and a religious outsider. In that time and in that place, the status of women was beneath that of men. So Mark here is telling us that this person is also a gender outsider. Uh, Add to that the fact that we're told uh, her daughter is possessed by an evil spirit, an impure spirit. The Greek here is literally translated as a ritually impure demon, defiled and unclean. So we see this lady is associated uh, also as a spiritual outsider. She comes alone to Jesus. There isn't anyone to vouch for her. Uh, She doesn't come with an entourage uh, to express and signify her independent standing and wealth. So she's an economic 
outsider. And she's found begging at Jesus' feet. She knows that she has no right to claim or command Jesus to do anything. She has no power before Jesus. So in these few verses, uh, Mark shows us just how much of an outsider this lady is. And he does that to contrast that with the Pharisees at the start of chapter 7. See, the Pharisees thought that they were the insiders inside the kingdom of God. In every way, a contrast to this lady. The Pharisees thought they were inside the kingdom of God. They thought they were on the inside because of uh, their gender, their education, their moral goodness, their wealth, and the high regard with which everyone around them held them. And last week, we looked at how Jesus showed them that they were wrong. They actually had abandoned God's law and gone their own way. Those who thought themselves on the inside of God's kingdom were actually on the outside of the kingdom. So as we get to verse 26, and we get to this lady, we've got to be thinking, hmm, I wonder how Jesus is going to treat this lady, the one who seems so obviously to be an outsider. What does she do? This lady begs for her daughter to be healed. Let's take a look at verses 27 and 28. We read, first, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. It seems uh, quite a harsh response from Jesus, doesn't it? Uh, A lady who's uh, broken, uh, broken with worry, approaches Jesus in the depth of her anguish and pleads with Jesus. Uh, The the word uh, implies literally face down before him. And Jesus declines her request by saying, it's not right, it's not right to take the children's food And toss it to the dogs. It's not right for the food on the table, which is set up for the children of Israel, to be sent and given to the dogs. Now, it's easy, isn't it, to get a bit bent out of shape as we come to this. Uh, We can start to think, uh, is this the same Jesus who, as he was dying on the cross, cared for his mother by bringing her into the family of one of the disciples? Uh, The one who wept? At the tombside of Lazarus with Mary, at the one who gently encouraged the woman from Samaria at the wellside, blessed the widow for her tiny gift in worldly terms at the temple, and the one who raised the little girl, Jairus' daughter, from the dead. Now, how do we look at this passage in the light of those examples of Jesus' gentleness? Uh, Here, Jesus is uh, uh, calling this woman uh, and Gentiles dogs. Uh, It's not a term of endearment now, and it certainly was not a term of endearment then. What do we see? What do we learn about the lady and Jesus? And we have the answers to our questions uh, in two words uh, from these two verses. And we're going to look at those. First, first, 
Here Jesus is telling the lady that there is a plan of redemption that God is executing. That the plan of redemption has a sequence. God's plan of bringing his people to himself, no matter what nation, land or tribe they found themselves in, is being brought to fruition. And in that plan, God is first working in and through the people of Israel, a people he's chosen for himself. And what does that look like? God's plan of rescuing his people goes all the way back into the Old Testament. Uh, In the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, God tells Abraham that God is going to bless all nations, all people, through him, through his seed. God's plan of redemption is to bring all people to himself. And the people God chose, the people of Israel, were meant to live fully for God. And if they had done that, if they had lived the way that God had called them to live, their lives would have been so attractive that they would have shone like a light in the darkness to all the nations around. They would have been a fabulous witness to God. So Jesus is telling this lady that God is working his plan to all people, firstly, through the people of Israel. Now, our next word is found at the start of verse 28. Take a look. Lord, she doesn't hold on to her pride, does she, and say, how dare you speak to me like that? Or she doesn't say, don't you know who I am? Don't you care about me? No, she doesn't get upset. But rather, she approaches Jesus with great humility, with boldness and confident in the power of Jesus. So let's look at those three things, humility, boldness, and confidence. Uh, Firstly, uh, humility. Uh, This lady, uh, who is the complete outsider, uh, is the first person in Mark's gospel to address Jesus as Lord. She rightly acknowledges who Jesus is. She has a right view of Jesus. And she therefore has a right view of who she is in the light of of who he is. She knows that she comes before the one who is the Lord over all things. She comes to the one who has power over all things. And so she comes to him in humility. But she doesn't come to him just in broken humility. So secondly, we see that she comes with humble boldness. Humble boldness. Uh, What do I mean? Uh, Take a look uh, uh, with me. She holds fast to what Jesus says and calls on him to be true to what he has said. She holds fast. And Jesus says uh, some things that are very interesting here. He says uh, um, that the children will eat first. But there's also interesting what he doesn't say. So what does he say? The children will eat first. He says that. But he hasn't said that the dogs won't eat. He doesn't say that there is nothing for the dogs Not only that, Jesus acknowledges that the dogs are actually inside the house, in the same house as the Lord and his children. And in that place, the dogs are there. They're all in the same house. And the lady sees that. She sees it and takes hold of what Jesus has said. 
He's acknowledging that the dogs are in the house. Uh, Indeed, the word that Jesus uses for dogs here is actually little dogs or puppies. Puppies are in the house. And when the crumbs fall from the table, the right and proper thing for the dogs to do is to eat the crumbs. So this lady's listened to what Jesus has said and held fast to his words. So she comes with humility, knowing that he is the Lord. She bows down before him, recognizing that, wow, he doesn't owe her anything. But she also comes knowing what he has said, with boldness holding fast to his words. And thirdly, she comes knowing the tremendous power of the one that she calls Lord. She knows that even if the smallest of crumbs falls from Jesus' table, it will be more than enough to meet all her needs and desires, to heal her daughter. So powerful and so rich are even the crumbs from the Lord's table that they're enough. They're more than enough. This lady approaches with the right attitude of heart, with humility, with boldness, and confident of his power. And Mark's showing us that this lady who was an outsider in all imaginable ways actually grasped the grace and love of God in a way that the people of Israel just didn't get. The religious leaders, well, they never approached Jesus with humility, boldness, or knowing his power. They came with pride in their hearts, confident of their own understanding, and claimed authority over Jesus. Their hearts were far from him. For all their learning and all their legalism, the Pharisees just did not grasp the enormity of who Jesus is. They never called him Lord. And even those who were close to Jesus, the disciples, they just hadn't grasped grace. That salvation and being made right with God isn't a work that we do, but it's a gift that we receive. This lady, this outsider, she understood what the Pharisees and the disciples had completely missed. And although this lady didn't quite know, didn't quite know how the dogs could be treated as children, well, we know. We know that, don't we? We know how that offer of salvation to all people has been made. It was made by the one true child of God being treated not as a dearly loved child, but being treated as a dog. Jesus willingly gave up his place at the table, at the table of God's love, of his mercy and grace, and came to us, and we treated him like a dog. Treated the one who was worthy with revulsion. See, Jesus was reviled, he was hated, he was rejected by his friends, denied justice by the authorities, forsaken on the cross by his father and brutally killed. Not even a crumb of comfort 
extended to Christ on the cross. In fact, the only things that were extended to him were a crown of thorns and sharp nails in his hands and his feet and a spear in his side. You see, Jesus was treated like a dog. So we, the real dogs, could be welcomed in to feast at the table as children. Because of what Jesus has done, we have access to the kingdom of God. If we will but trust in him. Access to God as our father. Our father in heaven who knows us to the very bottom and yet loves us to the skies. Uh, Like this lady, uh, the right heart attitude is to come to God with humility because we know that there is nothing but the death of God's only son that could make us right with God. So we come with humility, but we come with confidence, don't we, as well? Because we know that his love for us was so great that Jesus willingly came to pay that price. Willingly died on the cross for us. And that reveals to us a love that will never abandon us, will never forsake us. And it affirms us to the sky. And that's the gospel. We are both humbled into the dust and we are affirmed to the sky at the very same time. You see, no matter how much of an outsider you think you are, The Lord invites you in. See, the way into the kingdom of God is with humility, to know that we need rescuing, and with boldness, because we know the one who invites us in is the one who makes it possible. And so we stand firmly and confidently on his promises, don't we? Because we know that he alone has the power to save Now, we can apply this in in lots of different ways uh, to ourselves. But to close, let me just suggest uh, three ways. Uh, In our attitude towards others, our attitudes towards the promises in Scripture, and the way that we live our lives. Okay. So firstly, our attitude toward others. Uh, The religious elite of Jesus' time, uh, they knew, or they thought they knew, just the sort of people that God wanted and They thought it was people like them. That's a terrible mistake to make. And we actually can find ourselves accidentally being lulled into that same way of thinking. That we think that because God has saved me, that it's people like me that God wants to save. Yeah, He wants to save, offers the gift of salvation to everybody. No matter their colour, Class, race, creed, nationality, whatever the background, the gift is open to all. So we have to ensure that we don't accidentally find ourselves thinking, oh, that person's not like me, the gospel's not for them. No, the gospel is for everyone. Secondly, our attitude to the promises in Scripture. Uh, this lady uh, came to, uh, to Jesus uh, and she knew, that the, knew of the power that Jesus had. She'd listened carefully to what Jesus had said, and her hope was rooted in what he said. She knew that if she was inside the Lord's house, that there she would find the deepest longings of her heart were met. And that's an encouragement for us as well. 
Uh, God's word, his, his word to us, yeah, is full of his promises to us, revealing his heart toward us. But also what is ours yeah, because of what Christ has done. And now, this isn't prosperity gospel. It's not claim the promises and health and wealth and happiness will be yours. I mean, for those of us who've been following Christ for a long time or even only for a few days, I mean, we know, don't we, that Jesus calls for us to pick up our cross and follow him daily. And he tells us that there will be trouble in the world. He knows and tells us that there will be time. There will be times where we are hard pressed on every side. Following Jesus can be hard. It can be difficult. And the promises in scripture, they remind us of the greatest promise of all. That we have been rescued. Those who trust in Christ have been rescued from death to life. From death to life. Eternally as God's children. And while we wait for the ultimate banquet where Jesus comes back. Or we're called to go to him, the Holy Spirit will make alive in our hearts even the small crumbs of that ultimate promise. Food for our journey, strength for each day, comfort for each trial. And we need to smuggle those truths into our heart. Yeah, to commit the Word of God to memory. And allow the Spirit then to make those truths alive, um, vibrant, radiant, and so compelling, so compelling, that even the darkness, even in the darkness, we will know the Lord's presence with us. We will know his presence with us. Even his smallest crumbs are feasts for our hearts. Thirdly, our attitude in living. Uh, This really flows out of uh, all of Christian life. Uh, As I said, right back in the Old Testament, uh, God promised uh, through Abraham that he was going to uh, have a people who would be a blessing to the world. Now we, after the cross, we are the people of God. And as the world looks on at the people of God, they should look on in utter amazement. That people who are drawn from such different places, nationalities, tribes and tongues and background, that they should be able to live together with such joy and love and care and compassion for one another, that they might say, oh my word, I don't believe a thing of what what they say, but the way that they live, I want that. I want that. I want that. Our lives should reveal to the world a better story, the true story. And we can do this in all areas of our lives, but let me just uh, look at two, friendship and keeping our eyes on Jesus. Friendship, firstly, uh, in the, in the world, uh, friendships, they're shallow, they're brittle, And they're transactional. And they break very, very easily. And in a culture where we can just cancel people, uh, the people of God are not to be people 
who cancel uh, one another. But we're to be a people who seek to love each other sacrificially, to invest in friendships, to work hard at repairing relationships. A ministry of reconciliation and healing. For us to be friends to one another, friends who are faithful, who will speak the truth in love, and to be there in times of need. For us to see when one another are hurting, in a season of trial, or find themselves hard-pressed. And be there. Be there for them. To listen. To help. Secondly, uh, eyes on the Lord. Uh, the world offers all sorts of uh, trinkets, treasures, and toys, doesn't it? Uh, things that offer thrills, but ultimately ensnare, harden the heart, and shrink our lives. By keeping our eyes fixed on the Lord, we'll be a people who will know something of what it means to have life and have life in all of its fullness. This looks like uh, being in the word every day, daily reflecting and praying and meditating uh, on the word. And prayer not as an arrow prayer all the time, but prayer as an undergirding for everything that we do. The whole day, all of our lives held in that basket of prayer. So, if we can but come to the Lord in humility, come to him confidently, trusting in his power and his love for us, then we will have the right heart attitude for the kingdom of God. It's the heart attitude that draws us into the kingdom of God. And it's the heart attitude that we need to cultivate as we journey on faithfully. Individually and corporately. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you so much uh, for uh, this great encouragement. Uh, Father, I do pray that that you would be uh, even now at work in our hearts. Uh, Please would you reveal to us uh, areas of hardness, areas where... Uh, We lack humility, where we uh, don't trust in your promises, or where we doubt your power. Please, by your spirit, would you uh, warm our hearts to you? Uh, Please, would you remind us afresh of the glorious truths of the gospel? Would you humble us into the dust, and would you affirm us to the skies, that we might have, have hearts that are inclined toward you, rejoicing, joyfully, living for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just as we close, if you'd like to pray about anything from the service this morning or anything that's on your heart, there's a prayer ministry in the corner here. Um, this evening, Stuart Ramsey will be preaching on 1 Thessalonians, uh, chapter 2 and 3. Um, so please do come along to that at 6 o'clock this evening. And let me close in prayer together. Lord God, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, that he is our salvation, that we come to you with nothing, that you give us everything by grace, that we, as we trust in you, that we can be your people, your children, drawn into your kingdom. We pray that you would help us to live that out this week as your kingdom people. In Jesus' name, amen.